Hey there, and welcome to Silo Busting, an EPAM Continuum podcast. I'm your host, Macy Donaway. We're now months into the coronavirus pandemic and halfway through the year, causing many to ask, what's the next normal going to look like, and when is it finally going to happen? For some, the reopening process has already started, and for others, it's still a future state they're struggling to figure out, seeking out expert opinions to help as they map out a safe plan for moving forward. This is especially true for those tasked with the job of determining when to reopen offices and facilities for employees. Executives across many industries are delicately traversing the unknown, balancing the health of their businesses with the health of their employees and customers. There's no how-to manual here, and this makes these decisions even more important. So we had Jit Agarwal, VP of Enterprise Products for EPAM, who's been sought out for advice from many colleagues and clients in their efforts to weigh the benefits and risks to reopening, sit down with our content and conversation expert, Ken Gordon, to talk about the great reopening. JIT's had numerous conversations on how to safely move forward with new technology, masks, contact tracing, and even a new idea for a socially distant greeting to replace the handshake. He's sharing some of this advice with all of us today to use as one more way to help shape the plans you may already be putting into place. Tune in now. Hello, JIT. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you, buddy? Good, good. I want to talk to you today about offices reopening after lockdown. Are you ready for it? I am, Ken. Shoot. Okay. The first question I have for you is uh, what executives are thinking now? What, When the executives come to you to talk about reopening, what are they asking about? What are they concerned with? What do they? What are they really most interested in? What do you hear from the, the folks out in the field? Absolutely, Ken. So, um, we're now what three months into into this uh, lockdown era, and the six months into the calendar year, and so a lot of executives are coming to us now that states, all fifty states in the U.S. at least, are in some state of of reopening, and some have completely opened, and so that then is, is resulted in those executives coming to us asking. How can I reopen? What does that look like for my office, for my business, for my enterprise? Um, what does you know? What does that mean in terms of facilities and people, and and how do I adapt and adopt uh, the 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 rules and the requirements and the changes that I need to make in this uh, post COVID, uh, or I should say, current COVID, but uh, post lockdown uh, <laughs> stage of of their uh, their you know instance. So. That, that's kind of what we're seeing and hearing and, and where and why it's, it's happening. Um, not a surprise, right, given given kind of where we're at in, in the world and timing and, and whatnot. Cool. In uh, your most recent blog post, you note how uh, office restarts will require some kind of contact tracing. Does this make you worry about employee privacy? And if so, how do you suggest that individuals protect themselves and how do organizations ensure that things will be kept private here? Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Um, so so once uh, I'm going to step back for one second and talk about why contact tracing is so important. Um, if you look at the countries in the world that have done an outstanding job of managing the COVID uh, outbreak or pandemic, you want to turn to countries like South Korea, New Zealand, 
uh, and, and Hong, Hong Kong, uh, other areas where they've done just a, an outstanding, fabulous job of, of managing this successfully. Uh, to the point where their outbreaks have been limited to hundreds and thousands of people, or in the case of New Zealand, dozens. Um, and now in, 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 in the current day, New Zealand is, is completely COVID free, right? How did those organizations, those, com- those countries, how do they do it? And how did their organizations in those countries do it? And the number one mechanism that was implemented was contact tracing, the ability mm-hmm. to, and testing, of course, was the ability to be able to find out if someone has COVID-19 to manage that connection um, and that individual and all of their contacts to ensure that we can reach out to all of those people to prevent the, the you know, the broad spread of, of the pandemic, of the of COVID. So that is why contact tracing is so critical. Now, you, you know, looking at organizations, companies, you right. have somewhat of a microcosm, right, Ken? I mean, the, they're, they are in some ways their own little world, their own little universe of people coming in and interacting with one another at the office. And if someone were to, you know, God forbid, if someone were to actually have it and, and now you would want that person, uh, or I should say you would want everyone else who's interacted with that person in a close fashion to know or to be aware and, and potentially to have themselves tested to validate whether they also may, may be COVID positive. So at the end of the day, that's why contact tracing is so important. And to, to pivot to your point, your question, which is um, why and how do we ensure that we protect the privacy of an individual? Uh, I absolutely think it's critical, right? In, in this day and age, um, to prevent any kind of stigma or, or anything else, and also profiling and all the other uh, types of issues that could happen to ensure the anonymity and the privacy of the individual while still giving others the ability to uh, to know that they might have been or come in contact with someone who, who has tested positive. And I think one of the approaches that uh, we've used in, in our solutions is is using Bluetooth as a technology that's um, mm-hmm. that's fairly anonymous, right? Um, you don't uh, typically people don't ever change the name of their devices. It's called iPhone, um, and so that's what ends <laughs> up being your your Bluetooth name. And also, it doesn't give you the name anyways. It gives a, a random uh, token, which doesn't is not identifiable in any way, shape, or form. So, using technologies like Bluetooth as a way to preserve the anonymity, and yet to enable an individual to know that somebody else that uh, they uh, came in contact with, meaning less than you know six feet, uh, and you know for a period of time that that's reasonable, um, had COVID nineteen. So so I think that's why it's super important to prevent people from being stigmatized unfairly, uh, but at the same time to provide information so that everybody can manage the pandemic as well as they can. Okay, so that's, this is actually one of my favorite things, Jit. I love your idea of replacing handshakes with a quick bow and a, and a namaste. How how do you think could you see this as a function on Teams like like a namaste button? But my real question is: Could social distancing increase the speed with which gesture recognition gets adopted into our computing lives? I love I love this idea of of thinking about um, sort of the the redoing our rituals um, to make people safer. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that that's great. Ken, that's a great thought too. Uh, you're right. There's going to be a a change in the, the in the next normal for employee interactions. How do we interact with one another at the office in a setting? I mean, we've you know we've we've all been trained and raised that uh, you 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 greet people with a handshake and a smile, and and now all of a sudden the smile is still welcome, but the handshake not so much. Well, you and might not so, see the smile because of the of the face masks. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. That's even a better point. Thank you. You're right. You can't even see the smile because of the face mask. So at the end of the day, you know, what does that then mean? And I I do think that it will result in things uh, like the the elbow shake and and or, you know, a, a, a touchless namaste as a way to greet people or a bow in some of the Eastern cultures. Um, and then I do also think you're absolutely right that there will be a greater adoption implementation of the the gesture recognitions, both from what platforms can do, like our mobile devices uh, and 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 or our desktops and laptops, and also what becomes the norm, right? In terms of mm-hmm. how you know how can you take a gesture to imply a whole set of of words and statements that you previously couldn't, right? There is that that saying, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, maybe a gesture is worth a few dozen, right? And maybe that, right? That'll be way, the way people operate now moving forward, that the gestures are are enough to, to guide us and, and to lead us to move forward. Cool. Um, you talk about access to office and how we're going to see probably in the future some kind of hybrid when there are people who will be in the office and there are people who will be remote. And mm-hmm. I was wondering, do you foresee any issues around this, this idea that people who are in the office and getting FaceTime will somehow be different from those who are remote? And and for those people who won't be there, is there anything they can do or you'd suggest to make help them make their presence felt? Um, yeah. It's important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um it, it is very much the case that there will be, you know, new new access controls, whether it's temperature or, or other mechanisms, questionnaires that are put into place to, to govern who is able to go into a facility and whatnot. Um, just for, again, protecting everybody in the facility from uh, from a spread, the pandemic, as much as possible. You, it is going to be the case that uh, you look at the companies out there that have already stated that there will not be or there will be a significantly reduced office presence for their organization um, as and when they, they open up. So that's that's just going to be a market reality. So if you imagine a hybrid workforce in the future, some percentage remote, some percentage coming into the office, it, there's nothing that says that those two can't pivot. In other words, people that come into the office may go remote for a period of time and then come in and vice versa. Those that are remote might come in for meetings or conferences or, or sessions uh, and then and then go back to being remote. I think in the past, remote access was a bridge to the office. In the future, mm-hmm. uh, the the office may be a bridge to remote access. So so you may see a complete pivot. And as a result, there there will be differences in people that are coming in and and remote or all the time there on site. And I think that organizations will evolve to take into account those kinds of of changes and and pivots in the workforce. I don't believe that organizations will penalize those who, who are operating remotely from a career advancement and a maturity and, a, and, a, and an opportunity to advance. Uh, it, would be, it would be silly uh, and fairly short-sighted. And also, when you have it in the large enough percentage, 25, 30, or, or more percentage of your, of your team that's remote, it's impossible to, to not you know, make an equitable or a reasonable playing field. Um, so, so that mm-hmm. people can have great careers and great opportunities. Finally, if you are in a remote setting, I think that there are, and there have been a lot of ways that the people can virtually raise their hand, so to speak. Whereas in, a, in an office meeting, if you're there personally, you can raise your hand physically and people can see, but I think there's ways to virtually raise your hand. Um, I've not only blogged about it, but I think people see it now, having been remote now for maybe three months how to virtually, you know, get that visibility and attention, whether it's something as simple as turning on the camera 
in your in your remote conversations or something as more meaningful as a stepping up and providing deliverables and key needs for your organization during these these difficult pandemic times. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a second about sort of the business model implications of our newly configured offices, right? We've got these offices which now are sort of sparsely populated, socially distanced, and sometimes even closed. I'm, and I'm wondering what you see as the, the, the effects this will have for companies on, say, um, commercial real estate or even employee salaries. We've seen some companies that are actually creating certain salary changes depending on where a remote employee will work. And I was wondering, what do orgs need to be looking and thinking about right now about the business implications of these revamping and, and re, uh, redesigned office structures and, and, and procedures? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. If, if we have companies that are going to go uh, either all or substantial remote, then to your point, what, what, uh, what need do they have for some of these large office campuses that they either have or they've built? Uh, and how do they then take those assets and, and repurpose them for other meaningful uses? Um, and, and subsequently, what impact might that have on commercial real estate? Um, if you take a look at you know, what, what's happening in the market, I think commercial real estate is going to be significantly impacted by, by COVID-19, the, the pandemic, not just from a retail and a restaurant and, a, and a, that perspective. Um, I, there's going to be substantial loss of traffic and business and customers in the, in the commercial space. But the same, too, is now going to happen in the, in the office space where mm-hmm. businesses aren't going to have to have as many offices. They won't have to have as many people in offices. It'll be a cost saving um, and it'll be a benefit to the businesses. Um, it might be a short-term dislocation for some of the, the the building owners, but at the end of the day, it will all rebalance because that empty space will then create an opportunity uh, for a lower cost structure uh, for that re- for that space, which then might enable more startups, more enterprises, more organizations who could not have fought the space wars, uh, <laughs> let's say like there are the talent wars, like the office space wars. Mm-hmm. Um, that that they have in some of these these big geographies, some of these densely populated geographies on the East Coast, the West Coast, or in the world, and now they can legitimately fight for that office space and and win. Um, so I think you'll see that, and then ultimately, as far as organizations go, they're going to see how how they can more efficiently optimize their talent. Um, because don't forget, there's the office side of it, but there's also the individual side of it, which is I no longer have to spend an hour and a half or two hours or whatnot commuting both, you know, both ways to the office, right? I can now spend that as a productive online time doing work, getting, getting, getting things done that the company needs. So there is a substantial benefit to employers, to employees, to everybody uh, to make that, that whole transaction and process more efficient. And speaking of making things more efficient, let's talk about the COVID resistance app, which I think is, is one of the, the cool things that, that we've we've put together to help people um, get ready to open things up. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So uh, back in, in March, April, when, when this was the early days of, of the pandemic, one of the things that the EPAM team realized is that uh, not only for us and our customers and everybody in the market as a whole, there will be a need to, as I said, take advantage of contact tracing to help 
uh, curtail or, or flatten the curve. Remember that? Flatten mm-hmm. the curve. Uh, you need really uh, contact tracing to do that. So we sought to put together an open source, which means free, solution framework and application for everybody uh, in the market, again, to take advantage of to help uh, enable contact tracing. Once we, we kind of put that together, uh, we realized that, wow, it's not just contact tracing here that we're talking about. It's also thinking about that pre-check-in. How does an employee uh, who is at the mor- in the morning thinking about going into the office, how can we help them understand um, and, and, and validate and, and give the information that could help an employer uh, determine whether you know, everybody coming in is, is in the state where they could work? Uh, in the office? And then what would access control look like when somebody shows up at the building and going through the facility and, and working with others uh, in that in that facility? Then what about communal spaces? Once you're in the office, you've got conference rooms, you've got cafeterias, you've got hallways, etc. How do you make sure that those are, are managed? Restrooms, for example. And then you've got sort of physical facility-related items around you know, cleaning schedules and maintenance and, and all of this. So, so from that initial kernel of an idea came this, this, this open source uh, solution called COVID resistance. And the idea is to bring all of these factors into one place so that employers and employees uh, and facility folks can all view the operations of, of their businesses and their enterprise uh, with regards to the office setting with the same lens, the same understanding, the same knowledge, while still enabling everybody to protect anonymity, data, and privacy, but provide enough information so that the everybody in those facilities can have the confidence and comfort to know that they can go to the office and get their work done. Um, as, as we've talked about in, in previous blogs and in previous conversations, COVID-19, at least the control of it, is a very social thing. And, and that's what I think COVID resistance is all about, is to inform people, to enable them to make the right decisions, uh, social decisions, so that they can be the most productive possible. That's true. It's important. And COVID resistance isn't the only open source project we created to help people adjust um, to the next normal, right? There's also yeah. the, the guidelines toolkit, which is yeah. going to help people organize things. And can you talk just a little bit more about um, why open source solutions are so important right now? They've always been important to us, but they're, I think they're particularly important now. I'd like to hear a little bit uh, about your perspective on that. Absolutely. And you're right. We have a number of screen door. We have a number of op- gentle mask, et cetera, et cetera. We have a number of open source solutions and, and uh, ideas and concepts and frameworks that we put forward. And, and you're absolutely right, Ken. Open source is really critical, we think, for a number of reasons. One, it enables the rapid spread and evolution of an idea because you're not just uh, capitalizing on the, the, the capabilities of one organization or one individual. Instead, you now open it up to the market where it can grow and expand and, 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 and really become something dynamic by virtue of all of the people who have the ability to contribute and grow and, and expand open source technologies and solutions. The second big advantage is you get the exposure of your solution to lots of different applications, use cases, tests, uh, scenarios, 
things that one organization could not maybe have come up with, lots of different organizations and individuals contributing on open source could come up with various uses and applications for a particular technology, which then means that whatever the end solution of all that robust application and, and, and kicking, if you will, of uh, validation of the solution will make it that much more uh, in, industrial, right? More mm -hmm. bulletproof, if you will, right? And that is going to be proving to produce a better output. You're now going to have a more battle-hardened or battle-tested technology by virtue of the use cases and the people and the test cases that people throw at the, at the solution. And then last but not least, because it is open source, you have the ability to make it your own, right? Put yeah. your own flavor, your own look and feel, your own um, view on it into your solution so that your organization and others that you're working with will have an easier time adopting something because it looks and feels and acts like all the other things in your ecosystem or your portfolio, which you can do by virtue of open source. So we, we really feel strongly that it's a, a great way to grow technology and, and, and help customers really accelerate that, that time to market and adoption. And we've been big proponents of open source. And we have a, a solution called the OSCI, the Open Source Contributor Index, right. which really helps rank and give visibility to who is, which corporations are doing the most to contribute to open source and how they're kind of leading the thinking. And, and we're happy to, to note that we're one of the leaders in that, in that space. Super cool. One of the things I think that you just pointed out is worth noting is the personalization and sort of iteration that's involved in, in open source. And I think mm -hmm. that's super important uh, in what you call the next normal, um, because things are, are moving so fast and so quickly that um, it, it helps uh, enable um, a more agile approach to design and understanding that what's happening right now may not be the, the right thing a week from now. And so, you know, having that sort of communal conversation about these ideas and pushing them along seems something that's particularly necessary right now, no? Absolutely. In, in terms of the synergy that comes and the rapid development and evolution, uh, like you said, in, in these times, you know, days feel like weeks and months. So it, 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 we're in dog days, not dog years. And so... <laughs> Three months feels almost like three years rather than than three months, right? Um, totally. And especially, yeah, especially when you you know you're not going anywhere. You're you're all in one place, uh, in your own place. And so, at the end of the day, I think that that really means that the rate and pace of evolution changes. Uh, and what we thought worked three months ago, we know is probably changed and pivoted very dramatically since then, and will again, right? What we right. think now versus what will happen three months from now will yet again pivot. And to your point, if you don't have that adaptable enterprise, the, the ability to pivot that quickly, then you may find yourself at a disadvantage to those organizations that are. And that's an area where open source, again, helps is to create that adaptable enterprise. Super cool. Now, you've been working out of your home now for a couple months. Indeed. And you, you can't get in front of customers. You can't go to meet with people. Um, surely that must have an effect on your work. And I was just wondering, can you talk a little bit about what you're looking forward to when offices open up and you can actually get out there and do something? How will it change or make your job better or easier? Have you thought about that at all while you're being I, remote? 
A little bit. Uh, I think I'm going to you know, go into that hybrid model uh, that I've been talking about that I think other businesses are being seen as well, where some aspect of it is, is in the office uh, with clients and, and with, our, with peers and colleagues. And, and, and some of it is going to continue to be remote just because it's, it's very efficient. Uh, like I said, you, you avoid hours and hours of commutes. I live in, 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 the, in the West Coast in LA. And so- Ooh. I'm yeah. subject to, you know, an, an hour and a half commute for going a mere five miles. Um, and and so it, it just not as efficient to, to really do that. So I think that that's definitely going to be my approach is much more of a hybrid model than than in the past. And more importantly, I think it, the the uh, the uh, focus on how you can add value and contribute to customers while you're in this remote fashion so that you're providing them the value and the benefit and not necessarily incurring the cost, either they or you associated with the cost of travel and, and doing that. That said, I think there will always be a face-to-face component of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so subsequently, there will always need to be that, that ability to touch uh, a customer and have a, a, that experience. Um, and you know, even though we're going to get new customer experiences that are more touchless, I still think that there is a place for that that personal contact, and that won't ever go away. Cool. Now, for my last question, I want to know, where are you recording from? I'm talking to you from my study, where I'm sitting in front of my son's computer and his blue Yeti microphone, and there's the <laughs> elliptical machine over there to the left. Uh, where are you? So our, our, our listeners can understand where, where they're um, hearing you broadcast from. Sure. So, so like everyone else, I'm, I'm in lockdown with my family. So uh, we have distributed across the house. My wife, of course, commandeered uh, the office, the study where I would have normally been out of. <laughs> My son, we, we, you know, his desk and his room has been re, re-architected into his, uh, his work from home environment. So, of course, I got relegated to the guest bedroom where I have uh, created a, a desk and a workspace area out of uh, initially very MacGyveristic uh, approach, but now <laughs> has become much more stable. And uh, I, I don't have issues with uh, sitting and working for extended periods of time. So that's kind of where I'm situated out of. Very cool, man. Well, I hope you're comfortable in there because it seems like you're going to continue to be um, working out of there. And I'm really glad you took some time today so we could talk about um, opening up the offices again. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. It's been a great conversation. Thank you to Jit and Ken for a great discussion on opening up offices again and how to do so in the best way possible. If you're one of those tasked with the decision on moving your office forward, let's chat. We're happy to share additional insights that we've learned over the past few months and to share what we're seeing across industries and geographies as the reopening has begun. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed.